0: As usual, it is your host Matt Marshall. Today's today's a special day. Um, one of the few times on this podcast that I just talk directly uh, directly to the listeners. Um, usually, I have a guest or something on the show. But over the hundred and some episodes, I have uh, had a couple episodes where I just want to go over some news, go over my thoughts, talk about soccer, talk about life, all that stuff. So you're going to get that today. Um, you know, as it is, I am in my Second centenary, is that a word? Centenary, centennial. I'm uh, uh in, into the past 100 episodes mark. I'm a third third episode in, um, and I'm just trying to switch st- stuff up, try to grow continually, and uh, you know, it doesn't mean I won't have guests in the future. Obviously, I got a lot of lot of people I want to come bring on the show and talk to. That's the the heart of this show is uh bringing people on, meeting different people from different cultures and backgrounds who have different jobs, do different things, um, and just soaking up everything uh, life has taught them to this point because that's what, that's what it is. Eat, pray, ball. Football is life. Um, but today I'm going to talk about uh, uh, some different things. I'm going to start off with the Nations League. I went to go see the final in Vegas uh, last, this past weekend. Um, you know, U.S. are, are looking good. Uh, we're going to Kind of talk about the state of Chelsea, my favorite team. CFC, you can see it over here. Um, and, and what I look forward to in the, in the <laughs> next season. Um, what else are we talking about? I'm going to talk a little bit about Ballon d'Or. It's coming up in October. We'll see you know, who the top candidates are. Um, talk about Brazil's national team um, and those fire black hits they were wearing. Um, and, and at the end of the show, I'm going to uh, talk about all the bets I've <laughs> made this year, some I've won, some I've lost, uh, and, and have to give the people who've won their flowers. So yeah, this is, this is going to be a good show, but yeah, let's start off with the Nations League. I took a trip down to Vegas, unfortunately, and, and, and the reason I want to talk about the Nations League for, the, for the, the biggest point of it is kind of it was a re, um, it, was, it, was, it was a look back into the real state of soccer in America. For me, um, I'm just so hyper-focused and, and love the sport so much that I kind of continually uh, forget the state it is in in America and, and kind of that not everybody shares my passion and love for it, uh, which is interesting. So you know, one of my biggest takeaways from the Nations League is that um, I, only, I only went to the final. I went to the final on Sunday, USA versus Canada. Um, It was a good game, and I'll talk a little bit more about just the gameplay in a second, but the the big takeaway I had was that the stadium was less than half of the way full. They they, they had it at the Allegiant Stadium down in Vegas where the Raiders play. Big football stadium, seats about 70,000 people, and Thursday during the semifinal game, specifically between US and Mexico, that stadium was packed. Uh, so it's super crazy to think now going into the final. And, and let me tell you this. Let me just say this uh, <laughs> just so I can get it out. Mexico is just not good. Mexico's team, they're, they're in need of a complete overhaul. Um, they just fired their coach after this Nations League. They've been bouncing around. Uh, they they they've, They're trying to have a new project with young players, but these young players aren't. I mean... The names of these young players aren't even as big anymore as they used to be coming out of Mexico. Um, the Mexican league is still strong, you know. Obviously, they're winners of the the Concacaf Champions League is uh, Club León, who beat LAFC uh, in the final, went to that too. Um, so they still have that infrastructure there, but those players just don't seem to be. Um, developing the same way they used to. There's no Chicharitos, there's no Carlos Vela's, there's no, none of those players who just roll directly to Europe and become marquee names. Maybe Chucky Lozano um, It's probably the only real name on Mexico I can really think of at this point. I just went on a rant on Mexico, not, you know, not intentionally, but just to say that that was not the best team by far you know, not the best team at this this tournament. This essentially this four person four team tournament with Panama playing Canada in the semifinals uh, and U.S. playing Mexico. Obviously, Canada and U.S. Uh, um, went through. But again, thinking about how packed uh, that stadium was for the US versus Mexico game, which again historically are the U.S.'s biggest rivals. Um, totally understand the intensity, but Mexico. Also, historically, when playing the U.S. on United States soil, typically has home field advantage. And, and that, again, speaks to the state of uh, soccer and American soccer uh, culture in general um, here in the United States. It's, it's, you know, it's just not that important. It's probably about important as it would for me to go and see um, you know, a, a college World Series game. Not that important to me. Again, another rant just to say that it's super interesting that once Mexico was ousted in this Nations League final. And again, the Nations League overall is not that big of a trophy. It was created just a couple of years ago um, to make these international breaks Uh, Where all of these these big-time players go back and play for their nation It was created to make these those games more intense and more fun because there was actually something on the line There's actually a trophy on the line, but again, it's you got to win trophies, and so you know the point of the nation's league uh, Makes sense to me that you would want to make you know We don't want to see friendlies uh, and games that really just don't matter in the grand scheme of things We want to see games that you have to compete for to, to win something to lift the trophy to have the sparks flying at you all that stuff So uh, the u.s. Won, um, you know, they looked good um, and Unfortunately, they 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 put in some real work uh, against a, a kind of meek uh, crowd uh, against Canada in the final. I mean, the, the whole game was pretty silent as we were watching, and there was some uh, high-level ball going on. I mean, I, I you know, props to Canada. I, I I had I had assumed that they were a, a much harder opponent than um, than what they showed. I, w- I would be honest, and and unfortunately, I think that's just a lot of momentum crashing. You know, momentum share uh, from the World Cup of them crashing out of the World Cup. Uh, in an unglorious fashion, so you know they still have uh, some 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 players, uh, some positions to develop, I think, and and a style of play. But um, they played high level ball. I, I will say, it's a problem when one of the best defenders in the world is your absolute best attacking player on the team. In Alfonso Davies, um, he did everything he could. You know, uh, Canada played this really interesting. Uh, a three back system with Davies and and another speedy winger Buchanan usually um, on on either sides of the wings and they either side of the flanks and they just kind of run up and um, cause havoc and Davies was doing exactly that um, and and but but it's just not you know he's not a big time finisher he's a defender for for Bayern Munich so you know he would go up there he'd beat two three three players and then he'd get some wild shot off or you know, do something that just didn't really have an end product because, again, you know, my imagination of it is throughout his career playing at the highest level. After he does these things to beat defenders or steal the ball, win it back in in good areas, he's passing it off to you know uh, one of his more creative players on his team. So um, <laughs> another rant just to say that Canada was was not as as uh, as big of a competition as I was uh, expecting them to be. I thought it was gonna be a much more tense game. And again, they had their chances, but they just did not look like finishing. And, uh, and it was clear, like absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, that the US, again, missing Weston McKinney, missing Sergino Dest from the first game after the wild uh, red cards and fights um, that were occurring. I also heard there was about four or five fights just in the stadium alone, just between the fans. Um, so, you know, as much as you don't want to see that, at least that kind of felt like there was some passion, you know, at least there was some hooliganism and some, some real, uh, passion towards what was, what was going on on the field. And I just don't think that once Mexico kind of left the picture that there, there was much of that, you know, there were no fights, which was great, uh, in the final, but, uh, there was also just, you know, not much energy, um, I will say this is the first time I've been to Allegiant Stadium. That stadium is really dope, uh, especially as far as football stadiums go. You know, generally American football, I should say. Generally, those stadiums are just huge, and they're like they're just too big. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of like Barcelona's Camp Nou a little bit. Um, you know, they've just these huge Coliseum esque fields that just seem to rise and rise. So if you're in the section 200s or higher. You, you know, you bring your binoculars, but I will say at Allegiant Stadium, it wasn't like that. They have this, it's an indoor, it feels like a stadium-sized arena. It's all indoor. They have these, uh, these fields, I guess, on tracks, and they can just bring them in as they need per, per uh, event. You know, I imagine they can even bring a, a block of ice in for, for ice rink. So there was something about the field that felt a little bit raised, and even though we're in this massive 70-seater stadium, It felt like you're just nicely, perfectly enclosed on on the game, and I had no problem seeing the game. I mean, it was again, it looked it was it was a great view. It was a great, um, you know, stadium to be in, and a great game to be honest. Not even just from an American perspective, but just you know, from a a soccer lover's perspective, there was some good ball being played. And again, it just unfortunately the atmosphere wasn't totally there, but I, I still enjoyed myself. Um, but all that to say is the, the US, I mean we are clear, we are clear on top of, of the CONCACAF Nations League. We've won the last four major trophies in CONCACAF, I think, um, uh, you know, a Gold Cup before, or Confederations Cup before this and a previous Nations League. Um, and so now, you know, again, we've won another one. Um, and it's, it's good to see, it's just another nod to the growth And development of some of these uh, new players uh, in the U.S. system, and uh, and how good we are. And again, we were missing players, um, and uh, it just didn't skip a beat. Um, So that was that was really good to see. It it all also was happening during the same time that the U.S. was trying to announce their uh, new uh, coaching appointee. as we know, I, I talked a lot about it <laughs> earlier uh, uh, this year, right after the World Cup in Qatar, that whole nasty scandal with Greg Burhalter and Gio Reyna's parents, uh, the Reyna's, it was just such a weird, um, just a weird scandal that, that happened that, makes, that, that really put a sour taste in, in, the, in my mouth over Gio Reyna. Um, and quite honestly, just from a global perspective, made me go, you know, time for, to, for Berhalter to be out. That You know, obviously U.S. soccer did an investigation. Uh, you know, uh, his, his contract ran out after that World Cup. So he was I- essentially on hold uh, while the U.S. wanted to investigate, they also wanted to investigate finding new coaches. And um, apparently they decided to continue with Greg Berhalter. Um, something that I'm not necessarily a, uh, uh, the biggest fan of, but I will say, you know, many times, uh, players came out to Berhalter's defense. They were really supportive of him and wanted him back. Um, one thing I will say, even going to Qatar uh, and seeing the US play in that World Cup, is Greg really did have the team chemistry on lock. Um, I guess outside of Gio Reyna, who was You know, walking around annoyed, he wasn't getting playing time. But you know that you could see like a real uh, kinship between all the dudes. Um, Very young team, you know. uh, You know, the the core of that team, the heart and soul of that team, probably through the midfield with Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. Those are like probably the more senior players on the team. And you know, uh, Tyler Adams is what 24. Um, Weston McKinney's 25, maybe. Um, so really young team obviously they had Tim Ream on the team a OG veteran played for Fulham um, and, and what not but yeah I mean very young team Christian Pulisic young as, as well so to see this, this kind of squad you know continue to gel um, even without their coach come into the Nations League kind of focused uh, and ready to beat up on these teams I mean we thrashed Mexico like, I mean that, that, that whole 3-0 that's a 2 and that was a dope celebration. By the way, I will say that there, there were, some people might call this lame as hell, but after Christian Pulisic's second goal, Pulisic's second goal, uh, we and Weston McKinney did this rock, paper, scissors thing, which ended up uh, scissors beating rock and meaning two zero to the US. Uh, the game obviously eventually became 3-0 and uh, the rest is history. They really shat on, on on Mexico. And then turn around and and pretty convincingly we put it put it to Canada. Um, really happy for Balogun you know um, you know he's he's the biggest news in the US coming out once he once he fully committed to the team and and decided to play for the US obviously he is a uh, American-born player who uh, grew up in London and uh, went through you know the best uh, London the best England academies I think he even went through Arsenal um, So him coming to the team, there was a lot of pressure on him. He didn't play too well in his first game. That's a crazy game, to crazy intense game to throw him into for his first international cap for the U.S. Um, But I think he did, he played well. And then he got his goal uh, against Canada in the second game. So, you know, if anything, you know, we we have a lot of uh, strikers that are trying to, you know, we have Ricardo Pepe, young guy, 20 years old, still doing his thing. Um, overseas, and it's possible that he's making a move to an even bigger club, he's just gotta you know, take his time. He's scoring a lot of goals for the U.S., and it's creating a lot of controversy over why he's not getting a lot of time, and I completely agree, we, you know, he just needs to be there. He's probably you know, number two, 2A two uh, to, to you know, jump in the starting lineup and do things, but Balogun looks like a, a proper player, and, and he showed that uh, scoring over 20 goals in, in the French League. Uh, this year so um, it's it feels like the US finally has you know a full squad I'll also you know throw out um, uh, Chris Richards and Miles Robinson two center backs who unfortunately both had to miss the the um, the World Cup Um, those guys are solid solid I mean the whole back line now looks really solid all four brothers Sergino Dest on the right, uh, Miles and, and Chris in the middle, and, and, and Jedi Robinson out on the, right, on the left side. Man, I mean, it's, it's, it's young, um, but it looks like a force to be reckoned with. And again, Chris Richards, man, the man can play. Obviously, held it down in Crystal Palace. He's been in the Bayern system um the guy knows his game and obviously My- miles robinson doing his thing in, in atlanta georgia up for uh, over, over at U- atlanta united and he's just he's just solid athletic guy knows what he's doing doesn't get beat too often um it, it looked good it, it really looked good in, in terms of depth i don't know you know joe scally was you know held it down in uh, sergino's absence but uh and you know he did well he did well he had to he had to You know, go against Alfonso Davies uh, up that up that left side, Um, and and you know there were a couple times where he got mixed up a little bit or he just seemed to fall asleep defensively, um, which could have been costly. But you know, again, he's he's out there, he's working, and uh, um, it was impressive. Um, one elephant in the room that since we're at the end of the season, I do want to address. Uh, you know, going back to this Gio Reyna thing. Um, and Berhalter, um, you know Burhalter again. You know, for what it's worth, tactically, I I wasn't really interested. And with the scandal and the tactics used at the World Cup, where it seemed like he was extremely outcoached uh, by Van Gaal uh, in that in that quarterfinal game against Netherlands or that round of sixteen game. Um, I was ready for something new. I was ready for somebody to now take these, these players who have now shown that they have more than potential. They are winning silverware, they are you know, operating with swag. I was waiting for somebody like a Patrick Vieira or you know, somebody with a little bit of a, a European sensibility to come in and, 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 uh, and, and give a little bit more. But to be honest, I agree that those guys aren't, aren't seasoned vets. Uh, either you know, Patrick Vieira unceremoniously crashed out of Crystal Palace uh, this year, and um, quite frankly, Crystal Palace started looking a lot better after he left. You know, Eze like, Ibrahimi like came out balling. Um, you know, Elise, all those guys at Crystal Palace. So you know, I I I do understand. You know, there's kind of it's twofold in the way that. You know, Halter had started something that was looking promising. And again, it's the World Cup; it's tough. We were a very young team, second youngest team at the World Cup. Um, to to win our group and then lose in the very next round against a strong Netherlands side—you know, a, a perennial powerhouse, especially in cups—even um, though they've never won a World Cup—you um, know, it, it was it, it was it was a sign of promise. So I do understand, you know, trying to. Build from scratch and start anew with with coaches uh, leading into the next four years, uh, leading into the next World Cup in 2026, or continuing the project that had a lot of promise. And from that standpoint, um, I do agree that Burhalter was probably the best coach. You know, it, it could look really bad. Um, you know, keep in mind this this 2026 World Cup is is pivotal in so many ways. Um, not just for the US, but for soccer in America as a whole. We don't want to come to that tournament and not show up. We're automatically qualified to be in the tournament because we are hosting it along with Mexico and Canada. And we need, we need to have a good showing. This is a huge opportunity, I'm sure like business-wise, marketing-wise, and uh, for, the, for the sport and the culture. So you, you want to Continue that momentum and it's possible that bringing in a new coach and letting him try to implement something new over the next four Years really might not have worked. I don't so Greg. so greg's on through the next world cup Again, not 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 my top choice, but again not necessarily a bad choice. I understand all the factors involved Uh, But the elephant in the room. I wanted to talk about again was Gio and his relationship with Gio and how that's gonna move forward um and my own thoughts on Gio because I've been very vocal on this podcast uh, about Gio and what I see. Again, got a chance to see him in person uh, this weekend, and you know, it, the issue with me is the hype. You know, and and I'm sure n- nobody understands this more than than people in England. But you know, these young players come up. They you know jump on some good teams. They show some good promise, and then suddenly they are supposed to be the best player ever. Um, Gio Reyna is only twenty, uh, so I will say myself I've been a little bit too harsh on a kid who's just trying to 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 play at his top level, who is being highly touted and uh, always in the media, and, and that's no fault of his own. That's just how it works. Um, but personally, and and uh, uh, tactically for me he's a little slow and I know I'm not talking about speed of uh, on the ball. I'm, I'm just talking about speed of play in general. He seems to have a really good sense of the game really good game IQ uh, But in key moments in the midfield he just kind of like is a ball stopper and slows the ball down And he, he's not a Neymar like if I were to liken him to a ball stopper that I am very fond of and a, and, and a ball stopper who is very effective both club and internationally Um, Neymar stops the ball, and it can ruin the flow of a game, but it can also ruin the flow of your opposing defense. And if you stop the ball, and you're able to beat a couple players, and then create momentum off of your dribbling, in order to, uh, you know, play make, or even go and, and get a goal for yourself, that's the kind of ball stopping you want. Like Pulisic is able to beat players and create pace off of his momentum. So yes, you can slow down the momentum of the game and stop be a ball stop if then you can if you're able to ramp it up. and Geo, uh, I think, tries to do that, uh, but one, the position he's in, in in the midfield, I don't think he really um, needs to do that. Um, I think he should just keep the ball moving. Um, but two, he also goes on these nice little slaloming runs, but he's not really beating players and creating space. he's just getting past players who are trying to come and tackle him. And again, that sounds, uh, th- that sounds like the same thing. He's getting past players, but it's a little different. You know? It's a little different driving downhill and beating players. They all know that you're heading towards the goal and they're trying to stop you, versus Gio who's just getting out of trouble in a way. You know? He just turns, uh, here's a player, let me run, you know, cut past him. Um, so again, that, that is my per- personal and honest, honest opinion of him. Uh, does it mean that he's not a good player? No. Does it mean that he doesn't have promise? He has. He has so much. He has a lot of promise. He, again, you can tell that he has a great feel for the game and understands the game well. But in terms of his position, which I think he would want to uh, uh, be categorized as a number ten, you know, a, 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 a an attacking midfield or um, you know holding forward who creates and the ball runs through him, um, but. In the absence of Tyler Adams um, and even Weston McKinney on Sa- sun- on uh, Sunday, the game on Sunday, he was playing more of a of a midfield proper role, a, a number eight role. He was still getting forward, but but you know having to be conscious of any counterattacks and 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 stay secure. And he's he's much better in that role. So you know him distributing kind of in a deeper position might might be better for him. But all that to say. I, I, obviously, I'm gonna trail, because I don't have anybody to bounce my, my talking off with, but all, all I'm trying to say with all of this is that I, a, I pledge to go be a little bit uh, more tolerant, no, be a little bit lighter on Gio as he develops, because again, he, can, he can, has the promise and opportunity to become one of the best players uh, on American soil playing for the crest. Um, but at the same time I do maintain that he is just not there yet. And and when I say there, I, I mean he's not even he's not a certified starter on this team. There's another twenty year old on this team, um, who's super raw and super young, who's not as much in the limelight, for better or for worse. Maybe it helps his case in this way, but he never gets talked about or not often, and that's Eunice Musa. Who's playing in Valencia in Spain and and has been holding down that midfield position, that literal box to box number eight uh, position um, uh, for the United States since before the World Cup. So he's a great player. He deserves to start. He has the industry. He plays with pace. So while we're all looking at Gio, yeah, Gio should be there. Gio should all absolutely be on the squad, um, despite whatever relationship he and Berhalter have. So I'm hoping that you know Berhalter has come out publicly saying that. Um, he, is, uh, he hasn't had contact with Gio, but he recognizes how important Gio is for the team. So hopefully that they, they get to reconcile that um, and, um, and life will go on and Gio will continue to develop. That's, that's my honest and true uh, uh, hope for it. But uh, in terms of the hopefulness of the US, um, one, I'll, I'll, I'll say this right now, we're not winning the 2026 World Cup. If anybody is hoping that we get to that point, I, I Still, even though we're three years out, and that's three years of development um, in the top leagues and on the top teams for some of these players, uh, it's it's you know we we have some developing to do. But I do uh, see us making more noise in the knockout stages of the round. I can't I can't imagine this team with this experience uh, if if we get through well in the group stage, um, we'll we'll kind of find an opponent. Um, that will find it easy to beat us, as easy as it was for the Netherlands this past World Cup. All that said, the US is in good hands. I think Berhalter is a fine choice. We're 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 okay going through that. Um I I want to talk a little bit about Christian Pulisic um and where he's going because you know a lot of this Nations League fight that they gave was also kind of a proving moment for a lot of these players. Weston McKinney got, got uh, transferred to, to Leeds midway through the season this last year, and then now Leeds is getting relegated, so they did not do their job there. Um, Pulisic has not played and been in form at all for Chelsea all year, and that is absolutely no fault of his own. Again, I'm typically hypercritical, especially of Chelsea players. Um, and, you know, I wanted to see more out of him during the Thomas Tuchel era. I know you've heard on this podcast us joke about Christian feeling like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where he just does not seem to have that end product. Everything, the buildup is good. It feels like, every, you know, this is, this is one of the greatest. And then you just kind of peter out and you see no end product. But, um, n- no, he's clearly a baller. He clearly had a point to prove in this Nations League for his nation, After not really featuring in Chelsea, Uh, so for for him to come out and ball the way he did again, you know, both days uh, against Mexico, it was it was really that chip was on his shoulder. And then again again against Canada, he was he was playing he was playing he was definitely one of the best players on the field, um, and he did his thing. So I, as a Chelsea fan, do not see him really fitting into uh, Maurizio Pochettino's lineup. which is unfortunate, but we never know, you know. Pacchettino played with a, with a, you know, San is the best example I can give, Pulisic and San, Pulisic and San do not necessarily have the same attributes, but in terms of uh, speed of play, ability to take players off the dribble, and shooting ability, those are pretty close. I, I, th- I think Christian absolutely can be that. The unfortunate part is that Chelsea just have so many players, so I mean the first thing Pochettino has to do when he gets in, he, and he's still, he's, he gets in on July 1st, uh, is he's gotta whittle down this th- this squad and and really pick out the players who he's trying to build with. Luckily he's got a lot of players to choose from, but unluckily as well. Um, I think management, Chelsea's management and Todd Boley are, are really trying to make waves and, and, and um, getting some of these players off the books and getting them to places where they can get paid so much so that there are speculations that Boley has some kind of under the table deal with the uh, the inve- the public, the PIF, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, who that public investment fund is the money Behind all of these sports moves that Saudi Arabia seems to be doing, not only in the sport of soccer, but uh, I mean, changing the sport of golf. I mean, they created essentially a a whole competitor for the PGA Tour, and uh, and then it essentially ended up merging once they you know took some of the PGA Tour's best players. So the Saudis are doing something with all that oil money out there, and it seems like. There's a possibility that Bolí is in cahoots with him because he's now trying to sell all of our, you know, mar- all of our marquee but players who aren't aren't really gonna fit into the next project. Somehow there's deals of them going over to Saudi. Obviously, N'Golo Conte just signed his, um, just made his transfer over to Al Hilal um, to team up with Benzema in, in Saudi Arabia. I mean, they're really. I, I remember China did this. Uh, a couple years ago, brought over Iniesta, um, brought in uh, Oscar from Chelsea. I mean, they they had players, but these weren't as big of names uh, that they were able to bring over. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the biggest, if not the biggest name in, in, in the sport of soccer. They brought him over and obviously the floodgates start to overflow, but the amount of money that their spending is just ridiculous and unsustainable unless they can create a real product and real competition out there. So um, more to come from that, but all, all, all that to say is that speculation about Bowley, I hope it's not true. It would be it would be crushing, again, as a fan of Chelsea, to have had our club be sold to this man who doesn't seem like he understands the sport at all. Um, and obviously, after having such a horrible season, um, to then be hit with FIFA financial fair play sanctions because our new owner is trying to, trying to trick the system and, and is in bed with the Saudi invest. It would just be such a, such, a, uh, such a scandal that we don't need at this point. We want Pochettino, a fresh new coach for Chelsea, to come in. I'll also, I'm gonna go ahead and go on record and say that I was a little skeptical about bringing Poch in as well. Um, you know, the, the best thing that this man can claim, especially in the EPL, is taking Tottenham to the final of the Champions League uh, where they got washed by, by Liverpool in one of the most boring finals I've ever seen in Champions League. And Champions League, I, I would say perennially, is not the most exciting. The final is not the most exciting uh, game. But um, that, game, that, that year, uh, Potch and, and, uh, and Tottenham really made that game a, a snoozer uh, sitting back. Um, I will say his tactics do pseudo align with just the ethos of Chelsea, which is just hard nose, you know, hard nose defensively. uh, Marquee mercenary-esque signings who might just come in for a year or two and really ball out. uh, But we're still missing that key number nine position uh, that was, you know, obviously held by Didier Drogba when we won our first Champions League. Um, you know, I don't. If if we're gonna have that kind of side, much like Poch had at Tottenham, you're gonna need a big time striker uh, like the likes of Harry Kane, who Poch had on his team, or DDA, who we had on ours. Um, and we have none other than Romelu Lukaku still on our books. We only loaned him out to Inter, um, and I'm hoping you know he's been very public about his love of Inter. He obviously didn't have a great time in Chelsea. I'm not sure if that was because of Chelsea itself or because of his relationship with Thomas Tuchel, who, um, who had since departed after that. But I'm a big Rom fan, obviously. like I love a, uh, a, a big black striker, uh, menacing and terrorizing defenders. That's how I describe myself in certain ways. <laughs> so I want to see a reflection of myself in Chelsea's front line and who other than Romelu Lukaku to do that. Uh, so I'm hoping that happens. Um, but if I were to look at honestly the rest of, of of Chelsea's lineup, you know we have Raheem Sterling, who again I'm critical of, but I mean Raheem Sterling has been solid his whole career. He gives you what he gives you. He he can take players on. He's he's quick. Um, under Pep, he had, he's learned kind of the the value of game control, um, which you know you can see he's he's more of a veteran in in that way, but. As an attacking player, especially on our team, we all, I almost want to see you out of control. I want to see you like, doing everything you can to, to, to get to that goal. Um, so, again, you know, he was a good signing. I'm not going to say you know, he was our savior or was supposed to be our savior. We have to just be realistic about uh, these players. Uh, we got Enzo Fernandez, who I was critical of because his, his price was just nuts. His weekly salary is nuts. You know, his man is on 315 a week at Chelsea, only, uh, only Raheem Sterling actually makes more money than him. Um, that's kind of crazy after having a, 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 a World Cup, after winning a World Cup where he featured, um, scored a great goal in one of the, uh, one of the games as well, you know, played well for Benfica, definitely a big signing of the summer and it was supposed to happen, much like James after scoring those goals uh, in, in his, uh, I wanna say 2014 World Cup uh, breakout year him going to Madrid for big money, but that big money was something like 60 million, you know? It wasn't, um, it was, you know, which probably fr- back then, 20, 2014 translates to maybe 70, 80 million in today's money, maybe, but it ain't 130 million. Like, no player is costing that. Erling Holland cost 60 million coming from, from Dortmund, so um, I don't know why we paid that much money for him, but it's clear that he is a a solid midfielder. He knows what he's doing. He's gonna start for this team, um, and and I expect Poch to kind of fit him in. That is one thing Poch didn't have at Tottenham. He didn't have a wealth of of strong midfielders, and that's something that he's gonna he's gonna be fortunate enough to work with uh, with us. Um, unfortunately, I'm sorry to see Mateo Kovacic go, especially just to go right across the right across the way to Man City. Um, Man City's probably in need of some midfielders anyway after losing Gundogan, So it was a great move on both, both parties' behalf. But, uh, you know, really, really, uh, really was a big fan of Kovacic. And, um, you know, sad to see him go. Cooley Bali, big time defender. I like what he did this year despite all of the stuff that happens. There's rumors that he will be out. Um, but hopefully he st- sticks around and, and continues to you know, live under the tutelage of, of Thiago Silva and, and ball out. Reese James, best player on the team in my opinion, my favorite player, most important player for us, um, and has been, d- was during the Champions League run, all that, so that, you know, that is what that is. Uh, ben Chilwell, always injured, so we're gonna need some help. We're gonna need to, you know, all this money we're spending to get players out, uh, or I'm sure, sorry, to bring players in. Um, Ben Chilwell needs a better and more certified, uh, backup, and it's not Mark Cucurella. Hopefully Ben Chilwell can stay healthy, but we're definitely going to need some backup. Wesley Fofana, young guy, center back, knows what he's doing. I wouldn't start him, obviously, but, we, you know, he, we signed him for seven years. He should be all right. We also signed Mark Cucurella for six years. I don't know, um... I don't know what we need to do, but we need to get rid of him. So, yes, let, let me give you some of, some of my uh, thanks for the memories. Uh, Captain Cesar Azzapaleta, man, what a, what a player. Uh, you know, it, you know, 33 years old. It's, it's tough to, to, to run those positions again. Um, I'm sure he will be making his way out uh, this year. I just wonder where he's going. I don't think it's been uh, set in stone yet. <sighs> Unfortunately, Obama Yang... I mean, I was super happy when we got him uh, coming from Barcelona. I thought they treated him like shit in Barcelona. Uh, He came in, scored you know, like 12 goals in in 13 games, 14 games, or something like that. Um, And then they just were like, we want to bring in Lewandowski. Um, So I really do hope he lands on his feet, but unless Pochettino sees something different and can get something different out of him, um, he's also 34 years old. It might be time to... To sunset him, I mean, honestly, Aubameyang, you got a big enough name, you can go get the bag in Saudi Arabia too. So maybe, maybe that's something Todd Bowley's working on. Um, but yeah, go get you a bag somewhere. I would love to see you in, at LAFC. Uh, there were rumors at one point in the middle of the season that you would come over to LAFC. If you do, love to see you there. Two, that would be two big time Frenchmen on the uh, on the LAFC side. That would be a fun time. Uh, we got the keeper Keppa, who has somehow usurped. Uh, Benjamin Mindy, I'm not sure if this is uh, problems with the coaching staff or whatever, but I, but I, um, I've heard reports of Mindy on his way out. I'm not sorry, not Benjamin Mindy, Edward Mindy, our keeper. Um, shout out Ben Mindy, by the way. I hope you're, I hope you're well somewhere. Um, you know, we, we we saw your your rape charges got reduced from six people to one, and and. They're, they're working on that. So, shit. Free Mindy, bro. Free Ben Mindy. Yeah, Edward Mindy, hopefully you'll stick around. You were, you were still a top keeper. That year we won the Champions League and you won the African Cup of Nations. That was an impressive year. And I was hoping to see more of that. Um, and, you know, I like Keppa. He's a good ball stopper. He just doesn't seem very imposing. Um, and on a team like Chelsea, you know, with the history that we have with Petr Cech between our. Between our goal posts for so many years and such a a formidable and imposing defense i need a little i, I, I you're just not my top choice Keppa. i love you bro, but you're just not my top top choice uh thiago Silva will obviously stay around and he'll start but you know obviously he'll he'll be that that o g triple o g ushering in a uh a new center back contingent in between badia Couli bali uh Wesley Fofana, who we have, and Trevor Chalaba. That might be a little bit too many center backs. I mean, that's four right there. Uh, Chalaba's a homegrown product. I'd like to keep him around. I like Wesley Fofana. He's young. I honestly prefer Batty Shield to him. Um, So it would be, you know, in a perfect world, uh, Tiago Silva and Batty Shield and the third man up would most likely be... I'm sorry, Tiago Silva and... Bali and the third man up, uh, would my favorite would be Badia Shiel, but I could also see Fofana. Um, but unfortunately, y- y- somebody's got to go. You know, another thing to keep in mind, English Premier League teams must have at least eight homegrown players on their squad. When I think of the homegrown dudes on this team, um, we've got, man, Ben Chilwell, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who I fully expect to make a move of his own this summer. Unfortunate. Love the guy. He was never really destined to to get on Chelsea's side as a, a certified starter. Um, I did like what Thomas Tuchel was doing with him, uh, bringing him in and kind of having him be a pivot man between the midfield and the wings. Um, but I honestly think that his best position is kind of that center forward uh, position, um, kind of number t- not center forward. I'm sorry, uh, like that number ten attacking midfield position. Um, he he really does a good job driving at defenders. He can he can also he also obviously holds down the eight very well. He has such great feet. Uh, my issue is that he just doesn't you know he just doesn't seem to really want his goals. He's he's more of a you know I'm I'm gonna beat a couple players and then just try to find a pass when it's like bro like just shoot the ball. I want to see more shooting out of Ruben. But regardless, he's gonna he's gonna make his way. Um, there, there's a lot of reports that he'll be heading somewhere in Italy. Uh, that will be good for him. Obviously, you see a lot of Chelsea products and young boys balling out in Italy. Um, you know, Tammy Abraham, uh, Tamori players like that. He he can do well there. Um, so in terms of homegrown, I mean, tch. Mason Mount most likely on his way out. That's that's a that's a tough one for me to swallow. Like that's a uh, you know he, he's literally the Frank Lampard of the team, right? Homegrown. Um, you know, balled out at every level and was, you know, paramount to our Champions League win. Um, it's, it's tough the type of year he's had. And to see him roll onto a Manchester United, that, that, that's kind of tragic. So I don't know. Hopefully, Pochettino's politicking for something different, but it doesn't seem like it. He doesn't, Poch, Poch is not the kind of player. Talk about, you know, attacking midfield. That's definitely a Mason Mount uh, position. He can shoot the ball um, and distribute for that matter. Uh, but I don't think Pacchettino plays that way, so he will have to be battling, you know, Raheem Sterling, who will be out on the wing, uh, you know, Hakim Ziyech, who I think actually is going to make a move, Mikhailo Mudrik, who is still on the squad, um, young and raw. He's 22 years old. I'm trying to hold back my criticisms, but I mean, he's just not it, bro. Mudrik is just not it. So, but we have him. He, you know, we we have to. We're paying him. <laughs> we have him. Hopefully. Uh, again, Potch kind of develops him. That's another sawn type of player that could pop out, run down that wing, use his speed, and, and cut in and shoot. You know, Hopefully, Pach has got some, uh, got some ideas for him. Uh, obviously, Trevor, Trevor Chalaba, already talked about. I'm sure Connor Gallagher, we're only paying him. He's only on 50,000 50, a week, so he'll stick around. Um, not a big fan of him either, uh, but he is a homegrown player. We got Noni Madueke, homegrown player. Uh, I'm a big fan. He's only 21, super speedy down that right side. He's going to 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 really be an asset for us, I think, um, as he continues to grow in. Um, don't forget that we have Chris and Kunku as well, coming from Leipzig. He signed a deal way early back at uh, halfway through the season last year. Um, that once he finished the season out with Leipzig. Uh, this year that he would be coming over. He's on his way. I've already seen on Instagram he put out a, a, a thank you Leipzig video. I'm expecting him to come in and and do his thing. Um, I've described him at some sometimes as just a younger version of Sterling. You know he's really speedy. Takes on players. His finishing product though uh, sh- shows up well in the German league is a little bit inflated. I would say. Um, I'm not sure how. Much of a finisher he's going to be for us, but certainly a creator. So it's like we got a bunch of creators on this squad, man. Like Lukaku, just come home and put it home, finish. That's all you need to do when you're here. That's that's it. Uh, Carney Chukwameka, I really like. I didn't mention his name, but good player, young player, uh, you know, can can really end up being that uh, Conte replacement uh, that we need, like a a, a, a smart and uh, well good tackling. Uh, defensive midfielder who can play well with Enzo and whoever else will be that third midfielder for us. Um, uh, didn't talk about it. Callum Hudson-Odoi. You got to go, bro. I, it's, I mean, you're, you're making 120 a week. Loaned him to Leverkusen. He's an attacking player. He played only 14 matches for them. Had one assist. It's just not good enough. It's not, you know, typically we loan players out, especially promising players, and they have a really nice return, if we're not able to get rid of him this summer, then you know I'd say send him to Italy. English players seem to have a lot, <laughs> a lot easier time over there. Something's got to go on with him. At this point, you can't just be promise anymore. You got to start performing and deliver. Um, I'd keep Christian Pulisic. Kai Havertz, you can go, bro. I appreciate all the memories. I think he's a great player. As it relates to Arsenal, I think they're really winning out, uh, getting a player like them, despite whatever they might may be thinking. Uh, Havertz is very technical, um, he's not very powerful or explosive, but he, in a system that actually, I, I was about to say, in a system that actually makes sense, which was Thomas Tuchel's system that we won the Champions League off of, and which will absolutely be Arteta's system, I think he will be a good player for them. He's, he's He's tall. He's a lot stronger than you think. He's got a great touch on the ball. He can play hold-up, but it's even more impressive when he starts linking up with the wingers. Um, they got some good wingers over there at Arsenal. He'll do his thing. Um, let's get to Ballon d'Or. I'll, I'll end with that for today, on my, my little TED Talk for today. Um, I, saw, I saw something that came out about... Um, Kylian Mbappe saying that he meets the criteria for Ballon d'Or. First of all, let's just talk about Ballon d'Or for a second, in, in general. We still talk about it as, as one of the biggest crowning achievements individually as a, as a player in world football. And that is cool, all of that's awesome. But it's been very suspect over, over the past couple of years, we have to admit. I mean, we were, we were fortunate enough to see such crazy dominance year after year back and forth between Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't think we'll ever see a individual rivalry um, that great again, though people are really trying to puff up the Kylian Mbappe-Holland rivalry. Um, Holland's a great player, had a great, obviously great year, won the treble in his first year at City, scored 56 goals in 56 games, unheard of, unreal. Um, winning the treble, scoring that many goals, should he be the Ballon d'Or winner, I mean, let's look at the Ballon d'Or criteria. Keep in mind that this is a media um, selected award. This is uh, media members who are a part of FIFA who cover um, um, the top 100 uh, teams and leagues in FIFA. And they're the ones who vote on this award and they vote on this criteria. Number one is individual performance in in, in a previous season. You know, how, how, as an individual, uh, did did these players perform? Holland is lucky in that he is a goal scorer. He is he is graded and graded on his goals. Scoring fifty six goals in fifty six total matches is again unreal. That is a that is a grade A plus, a hundred percent. Um, they also grade on another. Another aspect of, of grading is team success during the previous season. Um, and the last one is player behavior and fair play uh, during the last season. So, you know, when we're thinking about that, there's, there's two top two frontrunners, right? You know, there's Lionel Messi and there's Erling Holland. Um, obviously, I think Kylian Mbappe has had a great individual performance. This man had... 8 goals in the World Cup in 7 matches as well as 2 assists for PSG he's had 29 goals in 34 matches and 5 assists PSG came up first in the French League unfortunately came up second in the World Cup and they came up second to who else but his, his teammate Lionel Messi so it's really tough to put him above Messi when Messi won the World Cup and won the French League and... Uh, Kiki didn't so you know again back to the Ballon d'Or criteria You know Messi did better than than Killian, but all that don't take away from his World Cup uh, Performance his World Cup performance was unreal. He had a he had a what a hat-trick in in the final of a World Cup of a t- Tense World Cup where you're down by two goals like he did everything um, I wish that would be weighted a little higher Um because not only did he have those goals in the final, but he really came up clutch in a, in a bunch of games during that World Cup, obviously. He had, uh, he had the most goals in the World Cup. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. 29 goals in 34 matches, amazing. Um, pro, pro, was it as prolific as Erling Holland? No. Um, let's go to Erling Holland, who had all those goals, won the treble, which means he won the domestic uh, league trophy, he won the Champions League for the best team in Europe, and he also won uh, a domestic cup in the FA Cup. Um, if you go just by that, I mean, Messi won the World Cup, and I guess the World Cup should be weighted higher, but that's the World Cup and the French League, which technically should be weighted lower than the EPL. I mean, they're right, they're right on the same line in, in, the, in that regard, um, and, it's, and it's really tough. To say who should really win it, but you know, it is way more impressive. One, Messi winning the World Cup, Messi's influence on the teams that won the World Cup, and and uh, you know, that's not necessarily a criteria specifically for the Ballon d'Or. But if you really think about it, and I've had some debates with friends about this as well, Erling Holland is a goal scorer and is was very paramount to the league success of of Man City. But when it came to tournament ball, when it came to the Champions League, when it came to even the biggest games, even the League Cup that they won, it wasn't Erling Holland who was showing up. It was the rest of the team showing up. And yes, some you know, there's some arguments that, well, he was taking so much attention from the defenders that other other players on this team uh, could have done it. I mean, listen, the, the, Man city literally won almost the exact same things last year. They almost won the treble. They lost out uh, in, in the Champions League to, to a Real Madrid team that was, that was not getting beaten. They were just, it, it was just next level what, what kind of, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the story that uh, Real Madrid went through last season for the Champions League. So I gotta be honest, despite all 56 of these goals that he scored, you know, when you really break it down and you see the five he scores on uh, Lipzig and uh, you know, the, the, the six he scored in a game that just didn't matter. Like he doesn't score goals that matter. Not yet, at least. Um, and that's maybe what he'll, he'll need to work on for the future. You know, you come to a team and you're, you know, what, 22 years old, 23 years old, and they're already the best team. One of the top, let's call it top three, top two best teams in the world. They were sl- they're, Every year they're picked to win the Champions League and they hadn't. You come in and you win the Champions League and now it's like, man, and score 56 goals in all competitions, it's like, man, you know, this guy's done it all, what more does he have to do? But he's got a lot to do. Like he really needs to prove himself, you know, not to me I guess, you don't need to prove yourself to me, but he's gotta prove himself as, as a clutch player who is, can be utilized in need. Man City didn't really need him. You know, they scored more goals as a club last year without him. He just scored all the goals this year, Um, so it's not like he added to Man City's all overall dominance. He just kind of he kind of took away from some people, uh, but it honestly worked out for Man City in the end because they won the treble. So um, to that point, the Ballon d'Or is Messi's. It's Messi's to lose. I mean, yeah, it's Messi's to win. Um, It won't be as much of an asterisk uh, as it was last year when Lewandowski uh, got snubbed for it. Um and uh, all in all, who cares? The Ballon d'Or is an opinions-based uh, trophy. It, it it used to be the most prestigious individual trophy. It's just really not not that much now. FIFA Pro is now kind of growing in in in, in stature and um and the way it's voted on. They they include uh, they include players, coaches, and fans in the voting for uh for best player. So. Um, you know, they're just, they're just trophies. But again, everybody still is thinking about the Ballon d'Or. Obviously, Killian Mbappe is thinking about the Ballon d'Or. He wants to, uh, prove that, uh, he deserves to win it. And, uh, we'll see what happens over the summer. He's enacted, uh, or I guess he's waived his ability to, um, to opt uh, opt in for an additional year of his contract, which means his contract will officially, with PSG, run out at the end of 2024. Um, and, and so, <laughs> in order for him not to leave the team for free uh, next summer, PSG is gonna have to do something to get him sold, and it's gonna be tough, because is gonna put a $200, 250000000 price tag on his head. Nobody's gonna buy him for that. Real Madrid's gonna be patient. They just picked up Jude Billingham. We all know, the whole world knows that Kylian Mbappe wants to go to Real Madrid. Will it be this summer? That's gonna be a really good question. Um, I just don't think Madrid want to or need to swing that this year, uh, even though they got rid of their top striker, Kareem Benzema, sent him on, on over to Saudi Arabia so that man can get the bag and, and live out the best life. Um... So they will be in need of, of attacking players, but uh, can they get the deal done? That, that, that remains to be seen. Um, I would love to see it. We already are anticipating. I mean, what a team, you know? Killian up top, uh, Vinicius on the left, Rodrigo on the right, you know? You got Kamavinga, uh Valverde, and then you'll, and Jude Bellingham, like, they just need to add some defenders to this mix, you know get get a get a Hakimi get a uh, Alfonso Davies get somebody over there on on both wings um, You got Rudiger you got uh, Millie Tao who I think is probably now the the staple of the defense uh, back there that guy is is quality um, And he's back there with David Alaba now who who kind of fluctuates in and out so men one if Madrid do things right obviously you got to go get get killian obviously but you got to go and get some defenders um that, that's going to be a team to be reckoned with unfortunately Ancelotti's not going to be able to have this whole project so i'm sure he wants to at least get get a little bit of a mbappe coaching in um while he's still there because he has already announced that he's going to be the coach of brazil in 2024 which i mean Ancelotti. You know he's 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 the goat coach now. He's won the most Champions Leagues and in, in the most diverse uh, of teams. Um, you know if he can win a World Cup with Brazil with Vinicius at his top, Neymar will probably be declining, but is still the man and and leader and most necessary player on that team. Um, Rodrigo and all the rest of these Brazilians popping out. Joel Linton, um, man, they could be a squad. So. Interesting stuff in the world of soccer. It's obviously a season wrap. I made uh, uh, some questionable bets at the beginning of the season in regards to Chelsea. Everything else, even the bets I lost, I will just go ahead and say, my thinking and my, my thought process around it, I still stand by, but uh, one one person in general who won out against against me standing up for what I believe in and putting my money where my mouth is is my man Leon uh, Leon Basso. You've seen him on this podcast multiple times. Uh, uh, great guy, great shit talker, and he really emptied my pockets this year for betting. So Leon, first first uh, first mention goes to you. This, sir, Leon loves Real Madrid. That is his squad. I'm giving him, I'm gifting you, gifting you. Uh, you won this black uh, Real Madrid jersey. This is their third kit, the all black with the lime green. It's pretty lit. Um, yes, that is for you, sir, for the bet we had at the beginning of the season when you told me that Liverpool was garbage without Mane and that they wouldn't make even top four which I vehemently argued with you, and I still agree with my argument that they weren't garbage without Mane. They had so many attacking replacements. It was actually midfielders that they were needing. Now, I didn't realize how bad it was in the middle and on the defensive line, but they were, ended up being garbage <laughs> this season, and they were without Mane. So, sir, this is all for you. You win this um, for that. Next one also goes to Leand. Uh This, I got you a Bayern jersey for your man Mane because you love him so much. Um, I don't know if he'll even be at Bayern uh, next year. Uh, hopefully he will. Um, but that is for the bet I made with Leonge. Uh He baited me into this one, but I, I bet him on Chelsea, really thinking that despite getting rid of Tuchel, and despite how bad Potter was, that we could still find our way to uh, Europe, uh, which meant all that we had to do was place seventh uh, in the Premier League last season, which we couldn't do still. Um, Leon, you cleaned me out, brother. You cleaned me out. I hope you're happy. Here are your jerseys. Um, hot take Jay, my boy. You see him on this program all the time. I have no jersey for you because you bet me that Arsenal would, uh, would win, would win the prim. I have a whole Rolodex of memes that I haven't even thrown out on social media, but I think I'm gonna do that on your, in your honor because of all this shit you were talking three quarters of the year, and yet again, Arsenal bottle it at the end, of the end. <laughs> not even at the end, somewhere in the same area that they typically bottle things around April, March, April, you know, that's what they do, it's just how it goes. Hot Take Jay. you bet me, we had, that was an interesting bet, we, we bet jerseys, but instead of betting whether or not Arsenal would, would, win, would, uh, would win the Premier League, he wanted to do basically a two-way bet where I win if Chelsea were able to get top four which, again, why was I betting on Chelsea last year? Don't make any sense. I'm not doing it again. I got to see it. You got to pass the eye test, and we got to have the right coach. But, yes, I, my, my bet was I win if Chelsea make it to a certain place, which was top four. His bet was if Arsenal won. Obviously, neither of us win. It's a gentleman's game. Uh, we'll see what we have coming towards the future. Um, also, Giorgio, Jorge Blamo, you know him from this podcast. A, he bet me that Chelsea, and this was another Chelsea bet that, honestly, I got by the skin of my teeth. But he bet me that Dortmund would handle Chelsea in the Champions League this year. And as bad as Chelsea was, we were definitely not about to get run over by Dortmund. I'm just, this is just how it works. That was Potter's probably crowning achievement for me at Chelsea. Good riddance, Potter. Uh, George, run me my jersey. I'm still here for it. Uh, I'm waiting. Uh, those were all the the specific bets I made I do remember again talking about Holland and what he would be doing this year but I didn't make any certified bets Uh, but I did say that he I did say very loud and proudly that he would not be the difference maker Um, and quite frankly there's no way to qualify that he didn't score in any of those big games that uh, I talked about but Man City literally won everything last year except for the Champions League. And now with Holland on the team, they have won the Champions League. I guess Holland for now is the difference maker. We'll see. That's pretty much all I got for y'all. It's it's a great season. The the beauty I love about soccer is we still got MLS popping. Aubameyang, come through, bro. Again, come through. That's it. We got more stories coming every week. Tune in, make sure you tune into this podcast. I'm interviewing uh, some great people. I've got some uh, that I'm releasing soon uh, with uh, Javi Soto of the Immortals Project out here in California, really helping uh, create a culture and a feeder of, of, of life lessons and everything uh, for kids out here in LA. Uh, I talked to Izzy Cisse already for this podcast. Um, who is a uh, former uh, LAF, uh, Sorry, Los Angeles Galaxy player. He actually uh, was uh, drafted to the MLS the same year that Beckham came into the league uh, and they came on the same team. Really interesting story. Definitely uh, check that out. That's dropping in the next couple of weeks. Please make sure you subscribe on my YouTube. Subscribe on podcasts, wherever you get this podcast uh, so you don't miss anything. Um, and yo continue on this journey with me again we're over 100 episodes in and we're only getting bigger it's the EPB podcast guys hey I'll see y'all next week peace